Welcome back to Brojo Online, I'm Dan Munro. Today we're going to have a look at dishonesty, what it is and how it affects us, particularly focusing on how it affects each of the five areas of life as identified by Brojo, health, wealth, relationships, psychology and mission. This is Brojo Online, masculinity, confidence and integrity. So firstly, we have to establish what dishonesty means, give it a definition that we'll work with throughout today's episode. What I've come to realize is there's kind of two forms of dishonesty, conscious and unconscious. There's knowingly being dishonest, and there's unknowingly being dishonest. Now, being dishonest is not the same as being incorrect. It's more like being knowingly incorrect. If I say something that's factually wrong, but I truly believe it, I'm actually being honest. Being honest and being truthful are not the same thing. Or should I say being honest and being accurate are not the same thing. Though, you can combine them. You can be more accurate with your honesty, which makes it more powerful. But sometimes you are unaware of the truth. You just know what you think you know. So when we talk about honesty... We mean you express what you believe to be true, genuinely believe to be true, as accurately as you capably can with the language in your head. You know, language will never do justice to the truth inside your mind. It's too complex to put into words, but we do our best, and that's honesty. So dishonesty, or conscious dishonesty, is when you knowingly allow incorrect information to be expressed or at least believed. So this is lying. This is when you outright lie, you exaggerate, you falsify and fictionalize what you're saying, you misrepresent yourself deliberately, you know, what's going on inside you is not matched by the expression coming out of you in words or body language. So you can pretend to feel a certain way that you don't actually feel with your body, or you can say things that you know are untrue with your words. Conscious dishonesty also includes omitting truths omitting truths that you know to be important you know so hiding your feelings for someone when you know that it's important that those feelings are expressed hiding your opinions when you know that those opinions are very important to you hiding things with the deliberate intention to lead people astray making sure that they don't hear certain pieces of information that would change the path they're on even though those pieces of information are true And along those lines, conscious dishonesty, in my opinion, also includes allowing people to carry on with incorrect assumptions or false beliefs. So let's say, for example, somebody gives you credit for some good job that was done at work, and you know you didn't actually deserve that credit, but you just stay silent to allow them to believe that you deserve that credit. That would be deliberate dishonesty. You're essentially you're omitting a truth. You're omitting the truth that you didn't do it. It can also be allowing someone to believe something that you just know is false, but you want them to believe it so that it somehow plays to your advantage or so that you can harm them in some way. Quite a lot of people do this as a revenge tactic. They'll hear that someone's about to do something stupid, something they know is based on false information, and they just allow that person to continue with it so that they'll be harmed. That would be deliberate dishonesty. So, that's conscious dishonesty. 
Unconscious dishonesty is the lies that happen within. It's you lying to yourself, and you don't see it happen. And this is by far the most prevalent and destructive form of dishonesty that we engage in, because it's in our blind spot. We don't even really know that we're doing it. Or we have some awareness, but we're vague or avoidant of digging into that awareness. We kind of don't want to know. Yeah, I think it was Friedrich Nietzsche. I can't quote him directly, but he said something along the lines of the worst lies are the ones that we tell ourselves. The ones we tell other people are comparatively rare. We spend most of our time tricking ourselves into believing something. So quite often we consciously feel like we're being honest, but it's because we've lied to ourselves and believed the lie. And then when we express it, we are essentially being honest because we think it's true even though we've been tricked by our own brain into believing it. So lying to yourself, this can take the form of cognitive biases and the fallacies of logical thinking. You know, when you come to incorrect conclusions about things, where you make up stories about stuff, where you make assumptions based on bad evidence, where anything where you tell yourself a truth and believe it, even though that's not a good truth to believe in, it's not a reasonable argument. This can just be simply misinterpreting the facts. It can be, say, for example, seeing a look on someone's face and assuming that they're bored with you when really the look isn't evidence of anything specific. Or it can actually be where you don't want to believe something, so you deliberately construct a narrative to talk yourself into believing the opposite. Like I used to work with a lot of sex offenders, and their parents would struggle to believe that their child had actually committed the crime even when the child admitted to guilt in the court and said, yeah, I did it, I'd have these mothers come in and say, no, he couldn't have done it. And she somehow, over the months and years of the court trial, managed to convince herself of this lie that he's secretly innocent and he's been tricked into pleading guilty, You know, even if his DNA is found at the scene. So there's sometimes people don't want to believe the truth and they'll go through an elaborate storytelling process inside their head to believe something else, and we all do this. So we get carried away by false narratives. We can also become addicted or committed to false identities. You know, I always talk about being Mr. Nice Guy. I was so committed to that being true that I would ignore evidence that I'm seeing with my own eyes and hearing with my own ears that I wasn't actually all that nice, or that being nice wasn't actually a good thing to be. I was so dedicated to the nice guy narrative or identity persona that I would deliberately falsify information in my head to maintain that identity. I could see myself telling the lie and then I'd become so convinced by it that I no longer recognize that it originally started as a lie. So we can lie to others and we can lie to ourselves. That's the basic summary of the types of lying. What I'm going to do now is go through the five areas of life talk about how we lie to others and how we lie to ourselves, or should I say how we lie consciously and how we lie unconsciously, and then how this affects us and what honesty can do to fix it. Let's start with health. This was actually an interesting topic. As soon as I wrote health, I'm like, how do we lie in health? And then I realized this is almost entirely about internal narratives. Now, there are some people who lie externally, shall we say, when it comes to health. Like, you might tell people that you did more push-ups than you actually did, or that you're eating a lot healthier than you know you're eating. And this probably happens quite a lot. But 
where lying really matters in the health department is the story we tell ourselves about what we're doing. Now, consciously, this is often in the form of a behavior that comes with a mental narrative. So the lying isn't being spoken out loud. It's more like an inner conversation, a dialogue. So eating bad food, for example, like you know it's bad for you. And you tell yourself a little story like, oh, well, one piece won't hurt or, you know, I deserve it. It's only, you know, I've been healthy today. I've earned this or, you know, I'm stressed and so it doesn't matter today. And you know that you're bullshitting yourself. You know that you're just trying to give yourself an excuse to get away with it. You know, abusing substances. I mean, one thing that came up for me as soon as I was writing up the notes for this was smoking cigarettes. The fucking stories I had to tell myself to justify smoking cigarettes when I clearly knew that there was no benefit, that they caused cancer, that there wasn't even a good feeling associated with smoking. There was really no good reason to smoke, so I had to go really hard at making up good reasons. You know, about how it went with coffee, or it was part of my morning ritual, or, you know, I'm young, I'll get over it, or, you know, some people live to 90. This bullshit, and I knew it was bullshit, it was just an excuse to keep smoking. The, the stories you tell yourself to avoid exercise, to get out of going to the gym, or to avoid putting your running shoes on. You know, it's too wet today, or there'll probably be traffic, or my shoulders are a little bit sore, I should probably rest them. The story's there, but you know it's untrue. You know you're making it up. You know you're just sort of trying to ease the guilt of avoiding the thing you know you should be doing yet again. You know, occasionally you even say something like, I can't be bothered, which is at least getting closer to being honest. But you also know that you could, if you really wanted to, push yourself so that's kind of a lie and a big one that isn't talked about a lot in health is avoiding medical care and issues if you've ever seen the program embarrassing bodies there's plenty of episodes on youtube if you've never seen it the state that people let their fucking illnesses and diseases and afflictions get into before they go to a doctor is horrific you know, somebody will have a goiter on their vagina lips the size of a soccer ball and they're like yeah i thought maybe i should get it checked like, Jesus Christ, why didn't you get that thing checked when it got bigger than a pimple? So people lie to themselves about medical issues because they're scared, you know. They're scared of what will happen if you know, they go to the doctor and they get some horrible diagnosis that they'd rather avoid. I've done that plenty of times. I'm a classic guy for this one, you know. I'll avoid something that clearly needs to be checked by a professional. I'll tell myself that I'm too busy this week or it's not that bad or it will get better on its own. And deep down I know I'm lying. So those are the kind of conscious lies we tell in the health space, but then there's the unconscious ones that are actually driving these conscious ones. So one of the unconscious ones is misreading warning signs. You might be often tired and irritable, and you don't connect the dots and see that this is about your health, that you're not eating properly, you're not sleeping enough, you're not exercising enough. This is a chemical imbalance caused by poor maintenance of your body. You know, but you'll tell yourself a story and oh, it's because my kids stayed up late or because work's too hard and stressful. So like, no, it's because you don't eat any salad and you don't drink enough water. You know, that's the, the most likely reason for any physical, like, pain, including emotional pain, like chronic tiredness, chronic anxiety, sleep disorders, depression even. The first place you should check is, am I taking good care of my body? 
You should be ruling that out first and foremost. Am I exercising at least half an hour every day? Are at least 80% of the meals I eat highly nutritious, low in saturated fat and sugar, high in nutrients? If the answer is no, then start there. Because there's a really good chance that more than 50% of your emotional and physical issues are just down to poor maintenance of your body. But we tell ourselves lies about why these things are happening, and then we cure that pain with more of the poison. So you'll be eating poorly, and that's why you're tired, and then you use being tired as, a, and as, as an excuse to eat poorly, and around and around you go. And that's the other unconscious process that happens is instant gratification loops. You know, one of the things that really helped me quit smoking well, as I was reading the book, uh, The Easy Way to Quit Smoking by, uh, God, what's his name? Can't remember, but uh, he's the only guy who's ever written that book, so you can look it up. But in the book, he says, you know, the craving for a cigarette is caused by the previous cigarette. There's no non-smoker in the world who craves a cigarette. There's nobody in the world who's never had one who suddenly wants one. Because you have to have one to want the first one, you know, to want the second one, I should say. So... Often the cravings we have for unhealthy substances and behaviors were actually caused by the neurological and and emotional imbalance that was provoked from the last time we did it. You know, the reason you want to smoke weed today is because you smoked weed last week. Or the reason you want to binge on Netflix now is because you binged on Netflix last night. You're creating a pattern that loops. Each one causes the next one, and that's why it usually escalates. You know, skipping exercise every now and then is not a big deal, but you start doing it a lot and replacing it with a bad behavior, you'll eventually loop that bad behavior and it will cause more of the bad behavior. The opposite's also true. If you exercise regularly and eat healthy regularly, you'll be more inspired and motivated to keep doing that because that will be caused by the previous time you did it. There's other subconscious lies. There's the no point narrative. There's no point in quitting smoking. Something's going to kill me anyway. There's no point in eating healthy because it doesn't do that much for me anyway. No point because I'm not going to live that long. There's no point because most people who are healthy don't even live longer. All those stories you tell yourself to justify poor behavior like, well, I knew this guy who was really healthy and cycling. He had a heart attack when he was 45. It's like, yeah, but why does that mean you had to eat a whole cake? I don't get it, right? You pull out, you cherry pick these pieces of really obscure, under-investigated anecdotes, and you say, that's evidence as an excuse for me to do nothing. You know, another one that I got from the No Smoking book is like, you always hear the person said, well, my auntie smoked a pack a day and she lived until she was 90. And the author of the book said, well, maybe if she hadn't smoked a pack a day, she would have lived till she was 120. So you get these kind of narratives that you skewered in favor of not doing anything healthy, when in reality you're kind of lying about that. Maybe the guy who had the heart attack at 45 would have died at 35 if he hadn't been healthy. So there's those narratives that you don't even really notice a lot of the time, but they're actually the driving force behind your excuses to not take care of your body. And then there's the no progress narrative. That's a classic for anyone exercising. You know, you look in the mirror every day and you're like, still no abs. May as well give up, you know. Or you eat healthy for a week and you're like, I haven't lost a single kg. And you kind of use this very limited and often quite inaccurate measurement of your progress to justify not having to keep going. 
Those are the kinds of lies you'll tell yourself to avoid being healthy. What's the cost? Long-term illness. That's the cost. Once you get into these patterns of fuck it and just bad treatment of your body and poor nutrition, it escalates. It leads to more of the same. It becomes a lifestyle. I used to live that lifestyle. I get stoned every day, eating like junk food all throughout the day, getting takeaways three or four times a week, binging on alcohol and drugs on the weekend. Fuck, I'm surprised I'm still alive when you think about the amount of crap I just rammed through my system. But it was all kind of like self-perpetuating. You know, you'd be hungover on a Sunday, so you'd get KFC because you like greasy food when you're hungover. And the KFC would make you feel sick, so you'd get stoned to feel better. And then you'd be real tired on a Monday, and you can't be fuck making breakfast or exercising, so you just buy something at the bakery. And around and around you go, one incident causing the next. Now what happened to me in my mid-twenties is I got an inflamed stomach because I had a really inflamed liver. I started to get pain in my stomach and that was my first wake-up call like, hey, you can't do this forever. There's a cost. And it was very young to have that kind of like a conversation with a doctor saying, hey, you're getting cirrhosis of the liver. If you don't stop, we're going to have to fucking do something really drastic. So long-term illnesses, heart disease, you increase risk of stroke, increased risk of, of cognitive disorders like Alzheimer's, inflammation, which is just the biggest killer that nobody talks about. Everybody fucking dies of inflammation, seriously. When people die of various diseases and cancers and stuff, it's actually inflammation that was the true culprit. That's what started it all. You know, ask any, any doctor what kills people. It's infection and inflammation. And the infection comes from being in hospital because you're treating the thing that the inflammation caused. Now, of course, there's the psychological long-term effects, the shame around your body, the bitterness and resentment and kind of long-term chronic illnesses like depression and anxiety that come from just a poorly maintained machine. You know, that constant, like, pretending that you have to do. It puts you... Here's the thing. This is, this is much more opinion than fact. I've got a theory. Things like strokes and heart attacks, lots of stress-related issues like cancer, I think are often caused by a lifetime of being dishonest. Not just about your health, but in all areas of life. I've seen, and this is just anecdotal, but I've seen a lot of people-pleasers, long-term chronic people-pleasers, start to get these kind of problems early on in life. Significant physical issues. Now, there is some scientific evidence to this. For example, there are some studies that show that if you're keeping a big dark secret, like that you cheated on your partner or something like that, you are likely to have problems like back pain and you know increased uh, blood pressure and all these kinds of things. It makes sense. You're stressed a lot of the time and you know fight or flight mode all the time trying to keep your secret. It only makes sense that the body would wear out. But I believe it goes further than that. I believe some of the healthiest people alive are simply that way because they're very honest and they don't carry the psychological burden, which turns into a chemical burden inside your body of being dishonest. So the other choice, rather than being dishonest in your health, is to be honest. Honesty means hard choices. It means looking at what you're doing and being honest with yourself about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Okay. Knowing that eating bad food is always a choice, that avoiding exercise is always a choice, that no matter what, there are healthier options available 
from the range that you're looking at. I often have people throw hypotheticals at me like, well, what if I'm in a wheelchair? Say, well, then exercise your arms and use your arms to pick up healthy food. You know, there's no matter what you've got, even if you've got Lyme disease, some chronic disorder that makes you really weak, there's still always going to be a choice between the healthier option and the others. Like say you're in a rush and you just have to buy lunch because there's nothing else and you go to the bakery. There'll always be the sandwiches and the pies. And there's really no reason why you can't choose a sandwich over a pie, one being slightly healthier than the other. So honesty is about knowing that every time you make a choice, you could have chosen the healthy option. So it's about a responsibility. It's about long-term sustainable goals. Rather than quick fixes like look good right away or feel good right now, you choose living longer, being healthier, having better focus, feeling stronger, being more mobile, and all the other things that come with a sustained or sustainable effort into taking care of your health. It means letting go of those quick fix rewards like getting abs or trying to impress people with your strength or joining some phase of diet and instead finding a long-term consistent pattern that you can put hard work into now for a payoff later. That's the honest approach to health. It's the hard, slow road, but it's the one that means you get to spend as much time with your grandkids as possible as opposed to carking it early and having everyone go, fuck, that was quick. Next year of life, we have what we might call wealth, or vocation, career, or work, right? Conscious lies. Well, there's anything you do to try to further your career with dishonesty, isn't it? Pretending on a resume, or talking yourself up a bit more than is accurate at a job interview. The concept of being professional at work, where you put on this persona of someone you're not, and you talk in a way that's not usual to you, and and you try to come across as someone who has a certain moral system that you don't actually have, and you're trying to impress people and avoid getting into trouble. That's professionalism. I think it's one of the biggest lies that exists in today's modern world. Hiding mistakes, you know, protecting your career by trying to avoid acknowledgement of things that you've done wrong or fucked up. And the opposite, of course, taking credit for things that you didn't actually deserve credit for. Making it out like you've succeeded where it was actually luck or something else. And anything where you lack integrity for money. You know, if you're willing to sell someone something that you know is junk just so that you can get paid. Um, Or you're willing to kind of spread some bullshit in order to get a promotion. Or whatever it is that you're willing to do to sacrifice who you are and what you stand for, your principles. You know, treat people badly in a way that you wouldn't want to be treated yourself in order to get something you want, right? And of course, the old classic, people-pleasing, which covers everything we've already talked about and more, where you try to make yourself the most liked person in the workplace or you want your clients to love you or whatever it is you do to get approval rather than be honest. Those are the conscious lies we tell in the vocation space. What's happening underneath the surface, the unconscious dishonesty, Things like imposter syndrome, a suspicion deep down that if you're ever discovered as who you really are, that you'll lose it all. Uh, And you're invested in the lie, so you have to keep going. So if you put on a professional persona, you can't possibly let it go now. You've got to wait for that return on investment. There can be a superficiality below the surface, a need to keep everyone at arm's length in a way that you wouldn't do, say, with your family and friends. 
this kind of professional detachment theory that you have in your head, like work is a dangerous place and you need to protect yourself by keeping people at a distance. Financial neediness, the lie that you need more money than than you actually need. It's amazing if you're a minimalist and you're frugal and savvy with money, you know how to get a deal, you're not worried about the fancy luxuries of life, you can get by in very little in almost any country. And if you can't do that in your country you're in, you can always move. But people tell themselves, no, I need more. They'll have an extra car in the driveway. They'll have video games they don't play. They'll have a house that's too big to live in. And they'll tell themselves that they lack money. So that's an internal lie. This constant neediness for more financial security. There's the, I need this job narrative. You know, despite the fact that before getting this job, you didn't need it. Suddenly now you do. This particular job, you can't possibly leave even though it sucks. Or like maybe the dog-eat-dog narrative that people have. Like, I can fuck over other people because they're trying to fuck me over. And everybody's just out for their own, so it justifies me living without principles. You get that a lot with salespeople. That kind of Wolf of Wall Street mentality, like someone's got to be the wolf. And then these kind of narratives and these insecurities, all based on fiction. None of them actually based on evidence. Drive you to sacrifice compromise who you are in order for that paycheck essentially isn't it and what does this lead to dead-end jobs unfulfilling jobs it leads to you neglecting important things in exchange for money like your fucking family or your health or your just enjoyment of life i mean how many people would quit their job if i gave them 10 million dollars what does that tell you because I wouldn't quit my job if you gave me $10 million, right? I'll take the $10 million, but I'm not quitting, right? I'm not a dumbass. I have a holiday. But think about how many people are only really doing the job for financial insecurity reasons. Like if you take away their financial insecurity, they have no motivation whatsoever to stay at their current job. I mean, I'm scared to think of what their percentage is. 90% maybe? I mean, how many people feel like slaves at the end of it? How many people have to lie to themselves about liking their job? You know, at least I've got a good boss, or, you know, one of my workmates is really funny, or, you know, at least I'm helping. But if you paid them out, they would leave. What does that tell you? People also, they lose their identity. They become an accountant, or a builder, or a sales rep. And they're they're so invested in being that thing that they don't even know who they are anymore. If you ask them what do they do, they always just tell you about their job. They don't tell you about how they spend time with their family or their hobbies or their fitness or anything. It's always just their job. What do you do? Oh, this is how I earn money. This is who I am now. So you lose yourself in your job, don't you? Inside your career, there's also a breakdown that starts to happen over time. You'll start to get a reputation as a fake person. Because as much as you don't want to believe it, people can actually see through the act. It takes some of them a while if you're particularly manipulative. But if you're false, it kind of comes around in an almost karmic-like way, which is nothing spiritual, it's just evidence piles up. I remember this guy I used to work with, And everybody above him thought he was gold, and everyone below him knew he was full of shit. And he was manipulative and sneaky, he took credit for things he didn't deserve, he 
lay shit at other people's feet so he never got dirty. And everyone knew he was doing this, you know, everyone below him. But the up above, he just looked so good. And we used to resent him so much, like, look at this sneaky fuck, like, climbing the ladder. But eventually the ladder ran out of rungs for him because he kind of got found out. Can't remember exactly how it happened, but his history caught up with him. And now he's, to this day, stuck at a position he can't get higher because all the higher-ups know who he truly is. He's fucked now. He wouldn't even be able to get a good recommendation if he wanted to quit because his sordid past has, has made him impossible to trust. If you're a people pleaser or whatever it is, Everybody kind of knows it, all right? Not everybody, but most of the people. And, and eventually you'll get found out. There are some very successful frauds, and by successful I mean they have a lot of money. But that doesn't mean that they're well-loved, it doesn't mean that they're respected or trusted, and it doesn't mean that they're leaving a legacy that people want to continue. Think of someone like Grant Cardone. You know, he's very, very wealthy, probably. It's hard to say exactly what's really going on, but his reputation is just on a foundation of sand. He's so full of shit, and it's starting to come out now. He has a lot of people starting to tell the truth about him and his programs and so on. We aren't going to be studying Grant Cardone in a hundred years. He's not going to be remembered as some great leader. He was just another shyster in a 100,000-year history of shysters. So it does catch up with you, and sometimes it really catches up with you in the moment, like cancel culture. If you've been a nasty fuck lying and deceiving in the background, sometimes you'll get caught. And then good luck doing anything. It also means leadership becomes almost unavailable to you. It's very hard to be a strong... You know what, that's not true. You can be a shitty leader these days, just look at Trump. But for the most part, in most countries... At best, you can hope to be a manager, but to be a leader, to lead a healthy, strong movement of some kind, to become you know, a leader in your industry, it's very hard to do that if you've got a reputation of being fake. So at best, you can be a manager who organizes things, but people aren't going to follow someone who's full of shit once they've been spotted. And if you're an entrepreneur... There's a low retention rate on the audience of someone who's not legit and not real. You might get a big burst of sales at the start if you sort of get away with it. But today's day and age, with the whole review system that we've got everywhere, it's very hard to get away with sort of lacking quality. If you put on a big show but there's nothing behind it, eventually people are going to get on the internet and start telling everybody else about it. You know, I, I always keep this in mind to keep me on on track. I mean, I don't need it to keep me on track. I'm very dedicated to my integrity anyway. But I always think, like, if I fuck over anybody, it's going to come out. So there's no point in me doing that. It's actually one of the things that's led me to stop doing classic marketing tactics. You know, I never did them to try and manipulate people, and I was always trying to sell a high-quality service or product, but... Still, it didn't feel right, and I had a bit of feedback from some clients that it didn't feel right to them either. I thought, well, long term, I want an audience who loves and trusts me, not audience that are waiting for me to sneak them some salesy bullshit. So I thought, it's better off in the long run if I just be true, rather than trying to sell shit. So what does honesty look like in the vocation space? Well, it's authenticity, isn't it? What you see is what you get. 
There's nothing hidden behind the curtain. Cards are on the table. Whatever other fucking analogy you want. It's where nobody's ever going to be surprised by what they find out about you because you've represented yourself pretty accurately. Right from the first job interview and resume all the way through to you know, running your own business and everything in between. Now that's harder. You're going to get more no's this way. You're going to be more likely to be polarizing, therefore more likely to be rejected. Uh, but not by everyone, just by the people who were wanting the quick fix or they were wanting the horse and pony show, whatever you, dog and pony show, whatever you call it. The real people, the people who appreciate you for who you are, they're going to be loyal because you're never going to disappoint them and let them down because you're always just going to be you. There's no fear of cancel culture when you've been fully upfront and honest about who you are. There's no secret hiding in your closet to be used against you. You'll also polarize bad fit career choices. Now, a lot of people will word this, quite frankly, as getting fired. It's one of the things, as a nice guy, I never got fired. And yet, I was doing so many shit jobs that weren't right for me. I should have been fired from the picking and packing distribution warehouse. I should have been fired from Dunkin' Donuts, definitely. I should have been fired from pizza. I mean, I was outright stealing pizzas. There's a lot of places I should have been fired for, but because I was fake, I got kept there and wasted years working somewhere. Those were all years that delayed me becoming a coach. If you're honest, authentic in your career, you will lose jobs that are not right for you, but you're just getting them out of the way to find the one that is. You're getting there quicker than most people do. So there is less money up front, I think, in the authentic approach, unless you sort of strike gold early. You are going to get more no's and lower pay if you're not putting on the show that impresses everybody. But you'll have so much more long-term security and stability. In the long run, more people are going to work with you, more people are going to love you, more people are going to trust you, and more people are going to support you. You know, when times are down and things are rough, you're going to have people like, what can I do to help? Rather than people like, good, fuck that guy. Right? And eventually it can lead to leadership. Over your lifetime, you build up a reputation and a following of people who think you are legit. And, and today, more than anything else, in today's world, being honest and authentic stands out. I'm telling you, it's the new wave. I'm, I'm excited to be where I am because I think being honest and authentic is going to be the next big thing. Maybe not the next one, but within the next 10 or 20 years, it's going to become the thing that people are screaming for because we've got people like Trump and stuff and all the leadership positions. We can't trust anyone. They're all full of shit. So people who aren't are going to stand out because there's so few of them. So if you can become one of those, you're going to stand out. You're going to have no competition. Because everyone else is full of shit, you're just going to make them look pathetic. So that's wealth. On that note, I should probably point out that my new book, The Naked Truth, is due to be released December 2020. And if you're keen to grab yourself a copy, please uh, check out the link below where you can pre-order one or more copies of the book. And I've got some pretty sweet bonuses for people who go for a pre-order rather than waiting till after it's published. So check out those below and help me support my launch. That would be very good. Thank you. Next, relationships. Yeah, is there any place where lies happen more than in relationships? Probably not, right? 
No wonder divorce rates are so staggeringly high. So, conscious lies, they're pretty obvious. They're anything where you're trying to avoid either loss of the relationship or loss of control in the relationship. Everything from pretending you're fine when you're really not, through to like direct seduction and manipulation tactics where your true agenda is hidden, even abuse tactics, you know, domestic violence or things in that element to maintain control of the other person. Maintaining a persona, this is one that comes up especially during the dating phase where you kind of pretend to be just this positive side of yourself or even something completely fake. It usually wears off after you kind of land the person and reel them in. Materialistic gestures, you know, using gift giving or superficiality like compliments just to try and keep someone liking you so it doesn't actually take much effort. Being indirect with your desires, you know, not going for what you want, not taking a risk of rejection, trying to work around and through and over and under, trying to like get what you want without somebody really having a chance of saying no. Pretending to like people. Think of your social circle. Who's that one guy you wish didn't show up to the party and yet he thinks you're fine with him, right? We've all got one of those, even me. And of course the old classic of people pleasing, just seeking approval, trying to make people like you, trying to avoid people disliking you, compromising whatever side of yourself you need to, to get as many social status points as possible. On and on, there's a million types of lies that we tell in relationships. Unconsciously what's happening beneath the surface, all sorts of stuff, mostly beliefs and fears around neediness, loneliness, ostracism, status. We have covert contracts, that belief that people should just know what we want, so therefore we don't actually have to say it out loud and risk rejection, but we will hold them to account to not delivering what we want. We'll punish them for it. There's the kind of unknowing manipulation. Have you ever done a thing where you only realize you're manipulating someone after the fact? Where like you thought, hey, I'm just speaking my mind and just saying what I want to say. And then later on you're like, now that was a pretty fucking sneaky way to say it. Like I knew that they would react this way and that way and that's why I said it. You know, that kind of thing. Plus you you manipulating yourself, isn't it? Which we've already talked about a lot, but you telling yourself stories. You creating narratives that you want to believe and so on. There's all those jealousy, envy narratives, both in romantic and platonic connections. You know, that person's got it easier because they have X, Y, Z advantages. And, you know, that person's a threat to me because my partner likes them. All these narratives that aren't true, they aren't based on real evidence. They're just insecurities and childhood trauma flaring up into stories. There's the old classic not good enough story. That deep down toxic shame of maybe I'm not enough as a person, so I have to maintain a performance. Nobody would value me just as I am. I have to add value. There's the chameleon effect, which is where you adjust who you are to each individual that you interact with. You're trying to sort of fit in with a party of one. You know, so if you're with the guy who's a hard case, then you banter a lot. And if you're with the quiet, reflective one, you're really sort of introspective and wise. And when you're with the crazy one, you sort of flirt and do wild, impulsive things. You're constantly adjusting to people so that they're more likely to feel like they fit with you. And sometimes this can be quite subconscious. You don't even know exactly how you're adjusting. You know you do it. And you don't know exactly how it is you choose to do it. And you don't consciously choose to do it. It just kind of happens automatically. 
There's also the halo effect, and this is where you lie to yourself about other people. So you see, say, a girl that you're attracted to, and you don't want to believe that there could be anything wrong with her, so you start telling yourself all these stories about how her being attractive means she's also smart and kind and interesting and funny, when she might actually be none of those things. Or you've got a friend, and he's your only friend, and you don't want to lose him, so you kind of ignore the fact that maybe he's a bit of a dick to you sometimes, or he flakes on you a lot, or you have to put on all the work. And you just tell yourself a story about he's a good guy and you have a good laugh and all that. And you just kind of amp up the positives to avoid acknowledging that actually it might not be such a great fit and maybe you're more on your own than you'd like to admit. Then there's a particularly devious thing our brain does, which is projecting fantasies. You have this ideal person that you're looking for and every time you find someone even remotely attractive, you kind of make them up to be this ideal person. Or even worse, you use this ideal person as a disqualifier, so nobody's ever good enough for you because they have some minor fault. Even though you've never met such an ideal person, you don't even know if they are actually ideal. It's really just an avoidant tactic. And of course, emotional shame. Very few people are honest in relationships about everything that they feel. There are certain emotions that they think are bad and wrong, and therefore must be hidden. And that leads to dishonesty because you're always going to experience those emotions at some point. So there's a little puppet master in the back of your brain constantly driving you to lie to avoid loneliness and rejection and ostracism and low self-worth. So what happens when you're living in this lie world? Well, you have bad fit connections, if nothing else, don't you? You don't connect with people as good as you could because you're going for the wrong people or the wrong people are attracted to you, or you're not revealing enough to the right people to make something real happen, and so on. You're also going to be very attractive to the more dangerous people out there, the narcissists, the psychopaths, people with severe personality disorders, who prey on shameful people, who like to use those who are dishonest because they're easy to use. So people-pleasers often report a string of relationships with really unhealthy people. And they think that they've got bad luck. (laughs) You don't have bad luck. You're making these choices. You're a fucking magnet for losers. Because you're fake. Leads to a growing resentment and fear. As time goes on and your relationships are ever more hostile or, or dramatic. Your friendships just seem to lack loyalty and compassion and... You're just kind of getting more and more lonely over the years. This resentment, this fear like, fuck, I think this is getting worse and it's just going to keep getting worse and maybe I'm all on my own and maybe nobody likes me, etc. You might build up a quantity of connections, but they'll be superficial. So you might have a lot of friends, but none of them will come to visit you in the hospital at three in the morning when you've had a car accident, you know, and none of them are safe enough to share your deepest insecurities with. And none of them are the person that's really healthy to marry, and so on. For some of you, it will mean a disastrous love life, because you're so insecure and indirect about your desires, you just can't get laid. Or if you can, it's in, you know, it's with the worst kind of people. So you have a poor sex life, and your dating and romantic life might be really, uh, really rare, or really unpleasant and unsatisfactory and full of flakiness and so on. You'll also become untrustworthy. You'll become known as someone who's fake. 
You know, when I was a nice guy, a lot of people liked me, but nobody really loved me and got close because there was nothing really to get close to. I was just good for a laugh. As I always say, I was like Chandler from Friends. If you wanted some good sarcastic, self-deprecating humor, you went and saw Dan, and then when you wanted to carry on with your life, you went away from Dan, and Dan was on his own. This loneliness, this isolation, this sense of becoming an alien will start to build. And it gets worse and worse over time. These original coping mechanisms of dishonesty that you use to make people like you might have worked in high school, perhaps, or kept you alive during primary school, you know, kept you away from the bullies, or in your early 20s, maybe you got laid a few times, or whatever. But as the years tick on by, this becomes less and less effective for a quality of life. You might even become even better at manipulating people But your sense of disconnection, your apathy towards people will grow and you'll start to become this kind of almost psychopathic lone wolf and go down a really dark hole. What's honesty do instead? Well, honesty's polarizing. People either love you or they hate you. There's no real room in the middle. Whereas manipulation lies tends to make everyone like you or at least give you attention. Honesty will make people kind of go all in or all out. It means you're going to have confrontations. It means you're going to have awkwardness and unpleasant conversations. The boat will be rocked. There will be times where you're like, oh my god, this is so awful, I've got to get out of here. And the honesty will make that happen. Whereas you can avoid that with lies. However, in the end, what you're left with is nothing but good fit connections. It might take a little longer than just being fake. It might mean that half the people in your new dance class don't want to talk to you. But it means that the other half think you're fucking awesome and want to throw you a surprise party for your birthday. Whereas if everyone just liked you, they're all happy to dance with you, but no one wants to hang out with you after class. So you actually get great fits over time. Where you only have a few connections in your life, but they're all very high quality. You feel safe with them. You can open up to them. You can lean on each other. They have loyalty. They surprise you with the things that they'll do for you. So you got less, but much better. And the ease of conversation, you don't have to think of what to say when you're with people like this. You don't have to maneuver and manipulate and strategize. You just let it all out. And the more you say, the more they like you. It's a fucking amazing feeling to have it like, I can't get rid of this person. The more shamefully honest I am, the more they want to hang out with me. And vice versa. And ultimately, the most surprising and wondrous discovery of my entire life is you genuinely can get to a place where you stop caring what people think of you. Like, really, it's curable. I always thought at the beginning of my journey that that would be a permanent fixture in my life. I had always cared deeply what others thought of me, and I thought confidence building would just be about reducing that. I never thought that I'd actually get to a point where it stopped. Where one day I woke up and I'm like, you know what, if everyone hates me, I don't give a fuck. And that's genuinely how I feel. I mean, I have little waves every now and then, especially when I do something bold. Like if I publish, my, I don't know, when I go to publish my next book, I might feel a bit like, oh, I hope people like it. But just a little bit, and then it will go away. In fact, I'm not even sure it will happen at all. Most of the time, when I find out someone doesn't like me, I'm just like, eh. Like, I'm not like defiant, like, I don't give a fuck what you think. I'm just like, yeah, I am interested in what you think, but what I think of myself is unaffected by that. I've already got my own measurement system. And the people who love me love me for who I am, so I don't need to prove my value. You can get there. I think anyone can get there. This isn't some special talent I have. This is just the result of being honest for like 
seven years in a row. Next area, psychology. So this is really about conversations with yourself about the nature of the world, the truth of who you are and what the life is. It can be a bit about lying to others. You know, my favorite lie that people tell is they're like, look, I'm just an honest person. No, you're fucking not. Honest people don't need to say that. So shush. But sometimes you'll lie to others about who you are. And, you know, that, that'll that happen. That's not actually that bad compared to you lying to yourself about it. So the conscious kind of lies I'm talking about is anything you do to talk yourself out of guilt, to justify bad behavior and bad choices, to minimize things you've done that you know are wrong to do, to try and, like, get out of awareness that you're not living the way you know you should be, you're not being the person you know you could be. It's about procrastination, you know, that delay story you tell yourself, that reason why it has to wait another day or another week, that important thing that you need to do. That's a big one. And there's even a kind of conscious dishonesty where you get yourself into an echo chamber, like you refuse to listen to anything that contradicts what you believe. You know, like if you're a Republican, you think anybody who's a Democrat is full of shit. You won't even listen to them, you know. I see this a lot like in like Red Pill and MGTOW, those mean communities. Like they're not even open a little bit to a single slight contradiction of their dogma. And they know it. And you know it. You know it when you're like, I don't even want to watch that video on YouTube by that person I dislike. I don't want to possibly get my mind changed to this thing that I'm clinging to. So what's underneath this? Well, where do we start, right? A million fucking things. Shame, really, isn't it? A fear that there's something wrong with you. And a need to get away from acknowledging that. Toxic shame is the idea that something fundamentally wrong with you as a person, something unfixable, irreparable. This idea that you're broken and there's nothing you can do about it. And we'll do anything we can to not discover the full truth of that. You know, I'll, I'll do anything to justify my poor behavior so I don't have to look deep enough to realize, hey, I'm broken. So a lot of people will have a shame that they're trying to avoid. They don't want to see how broken they are, and they don't want the responsibility of having to deal with fixing it. So there's a great resistance to responsibility and integrity happening behind the scenes. Responsible life of integrity is a hard life. It's a life of effort, of nuanced decision-making, of confrontation, and all sorts of things. It's not the easy way out. It's not a smooth, gentle ride. So people just don't even want to go there without realizing, of course, that if you don't go there, you're bound for a very rocky life. There's the old classic not good enough story again. You know, the idea that I'm just not valuable as a person. And this becomes a great excuse for not doing anything worthwhile. It gets me out of doing anything that requires hard work or effort. Because what's the point of someone who's not good enough doing it? They're only going to fail, right? There's this thing I call fear reversal, whereas your brain will tell you you're afraid of one thing in order to hide the fact that you're actually afraid of the absolute opposite. Like your fear will tell you that you're afraid of rejection when actually you're afraid of love and connection and intimacy. You know, they'll tell you you're afraid of failure when actually you're terrified of success and all the changes that that would bring about and all the responsibility that would add. You know that these fears are lies because. In being afraid of these things, you actually create them. 
I think Neil Strauss, the writer, he says, you know someone's acting out of trauma when their coping mechanisms actually cause the thing they're afraid of. So if your fear of rejection means that you reject yourself so that you're all alone, well then, you made it come true, didn't you? So it's not really a fear of rejection. What you've successfully done is avoided connection, which is what you're really afraid of. There's other tricks. I've done a whole podcast. Uh, It's called, oh God, what do I call it? Something about the way fear tricks you or something. And, And there's these sort of games that your mind plays with you to manipulate you, like something I call the Everest effect, where it'll take like 50 tasks and present them to you like they're one big task, like starting a business. And your brain will just go, oh, fuck that. Starting a business is too massive. Without realizing, no, it's just a tiny step. Next step, figure out a business name. That's all you've got to do today. That's actually really manageable, quite easy. But having to like figure out the name, then get your first client, and make enough money to survive, and pay your taxes, and set up a blah, 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 and blah, 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 all at once, successfully, without fail, instantly. And you just go, oh, fuck that. That's what I call the Everest effect. It makes the tiny task look like Mount Everest. There's lots of little tricks that your mind will play on you like this that you'll believe in essentially you lying to yourself. So, you reckon there might be any downsides to this, possibly? Well, yeah. You lose who you are. I can't think of anything worse, really. That was the thing, that was the crisis that changed everything for me. It was just that kind of classic experience of waking up in a cold sweat one night and just going, who the fuck am I? And not knowing the answer to that. At all. Despite having lived with myself for 25 years, I couldn't answer that question. I didn't know what I stood for. I didn't know what I really loved and hated. I didn't know what my views were. I'd been a people pleaser for so long that I'd become the act. I didn't know where the performer ended and the performance began. It's a kind of self-gaslighting where you actually manipulate yourself away from understanding what the truth is. You tell yourself so many stories about what's true that you fail to see the evidence anymore. You don't even know what the real objective reality is before you started doing this. Spent so long telling myself I was a nice guy that after a couple of decades, I'm like, who am I before I was a nice guy? What do I actually want to say to people? What do I actually feel about them? I don't even know anymore. I can't even feel the feeling anymore. Like, I'll be around someone and not really like them, and yet I just don't really feel it. It's, like, suppressed. So you kind of, like, skew reality, creating that toxic shame. You become your persona. You spend so much time lying to yourself about who you are, that actually you become the lie. And then because you've become it, you think it's true. As Randy Blythe from Lamb of God says in one of his songs, You can tell the same lie a thousand times, but it never gets any more true. And that's what this persona is like, isn't it? You spend every day telling yourself you're a nice guy or a good person or an awesome boss or a good mother or whatever it is you call yourself. And after a while you come to believe it, and yet it never was true. It never even made sense. It was never a thing. You can even create false memories. This is a reason that... You know, uh, witness statements are viewed with such skepticism in the courtroom. People remember things wrong all the time. And you can actually make up memories. I've got to tell you this story. I was at a party when I was a kid. It's one of my most epic memories. Um, 
you know, it's that, it's that age where, like, the kids are running around and the adults are having, like, an adult party and the kids are bored shitless. And there was this cup of chocolate almonds, chocolate-coated almonds, on this table. I grabbed a massive handful and shoved them all into my mouth when no one was looking. Only to discover that they were olives, which is probably my least favorite food. And I promptly just power-chucked them all over the floor. Now, my brother, Matt, remembers the story, but he remembers it being him who ate the almond slash olive deception. And he's positive that he was the one who did it, not me. And I'm positive that I'm the one who did it. And I'm sure that he's as sure of his memory as I am of mine. And so neither of us will ever know what really happened that night. There's even a chance that neither of us ate fucking olives that night. That's how wonky memories are. The more you lie to yourself, the more memories like that you'll create. You know, somebody will dump you and you'll say, oh, it's because they're a fucking bitch, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, you'll actually remember them as being a bitch, even though they were kind to you for 90% of the relationship. You'll actually create a false impression of something just because you wanted to believe a story and not take responsibility for your behavior. You you start to develop these massive blind spots, this total lack of self-awareness where you seem to repeat the same mistakes over and over again because you can never see the cause, because you never see that you're the cause. Which means you just spiral. You know, you just go from one shitty relationship to another and it's the same thing every time. Or you just fluctuate with your weight or you get yourself into these massive holes of depression and you just can't see how it happens. It just seems to hit you out of nowhere. Truth is, you actually dig that hole very carefully all on your own. So you get chronic anxiety, maybe become prone to panic attacks, just depressed and apathetic, just a loss of sense of self. It's awful. It's fucking awful to be like this. Because you've lied to yourself, even though you knew you were lying at the time you came to believe it. So what does honesty mean? In a word, I guess, painful self-awareness. means getting out a journal and going, what did I really do today? How do I really function? Who the fuck am I actually? You know, a bit of detached observation. Every time something happens in your life, how did I cause this? You know, there's a, who was it that says, like, how is it my fault? can't remember who says that. Um, but I found that really helpful. Anytime something happens, it's not a blame thing, though it sounds like it. But I go, how is it my fault? And it doesn't mean I take responsibility for other people's behavior. It just means I take responsibility for being alive. I chose to be in the situation. I got myself into it. For example, if you're in a raging argument with your girlfriend, she's your girlfriend. You chose that. You're the one who chooses partners that get into raging arguments with you. So this isn't her fault. She didn't have to be here. You you made her come here. You didn't break up with her earlier. That's why you're having a raging argument. So it's about this creating what I call authenticity guilt. There's two types of guilt, authenticity guilt and socially conditioned guilt. Now, socially conditioned guilt is when we feel bad for breaking the rules of society, even if we're okay with breaking those rules, like the shame you feel if you get caught masturbating, or sneaking away to smoke drugs even though you think they shouldn't be illegal, or, you know, how you do a job you hate even though deep down you suspect you should be an artist. That's socially conditioned guilt. Authenticity guilt is when even if other people think you did the right thing, you know you didn't. 
You know what your values are. You know what it means to live with integrity. And you know that you've breached it. And that's what comes with like practicing self-awareness and taking responsibility for yourself. Where you realize you've chosen every single thing you've ever done. You've never been a victim once. Every bad choice you made was a choice. It was a deliberate, conscious process. And so you start to go, well, here's the things I should feel guilty about because I let myself down. And here are the things I feel guilty about, but it's actually just somebody else's conditioning. I can ignore those. And you start to develop a humble philosophy. Rather than going, fuck, I know everything, and I am the way I am, you start to realize, I don't know anything, really. I don't even know who I am. I can't take anything for certain. I must always be curious and careful about what's true. And it begins a curious form of education. You start to go, what is the truth underneath the lies I tell myself? What's really going on here? Who the fuck am I really? And you set out to answer those questions. You set out to build an accurate self-image. This takes a long time, but do you know what is at the end of that road? Confidence. When your self-image is not based on some brittle identity that you hope to maintain to impress other people or whatever, but it's based on fact. It's based on solid, detached, fair and balanced measurement of yourself. Where one day you wake up and you ask the question, who am I? And you're like, I know exactly who the fuck I am. On these values, on these principles, on these morals, on these ethics... On these behaviors, on some of those behaviors, and I'll do a bit too much of those behaviors, and that's who I am. And once you know that, then it's up to you to do whatever you want with it. That's total power. But if you're lying to yourself, you'll never know who you are, which makes you essentially a victim of your own brain. All right, final one, the mission. So the mission is all about having purpose and meaning in your life, doing something with your life, having a reason to live. Now, the conscious lie is basically avoiding anything meaningful for whatever reason. Maybe because it's too hard. Maybe because it seems unrealistic in other people's eyes. It might mean following principles that other people have set for you, even while you know deep down there's something off with them. Like you take the, say, the Ten Commandments of the Church. I think the very first commandment is that you can't worship false idols. That's number one out of their top ten, is that you can't worship something that isn't exactly the God in the book. You realize that not raping people isn't in the top ten? So worshiping the wrong God is number one, but not raping isn't even top ten. Is there nobody out there, Christian or Islamic, who looks at that and goes, you know what, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I'm not sure that's 100% accurate. I don't know if that's the top 10, to be fair. But you tell yourself some lie. Like, God wrote that book, and, you know, the priest is wearing this, like, bed sheet, so he must know what he's talking about. And you just let the book tell you how to live, rather than figuring it out for yourself. Or maybe you might even mock others who have integrity. That kind of jealousy lie. You know, you see someone being honest, and you're like, he's fucking weak. And deep down, you know you're actually impressed by him or intimidated by his honesty. But you come up with some sort of weakness lie so that you can get away with justifying you not doing it. And then, of course, there's the unconscious lies happening underneath this, where you're not living with purpose and meaning. There's that whole, everything must have a point narrative. 
And what that means is other people must think it's realistic and valuable and productive. So if your family thinks that being an artist is pointless, you'll think that pursuing your art is pointless. You think it doesn't have a point. Because it doesn't have a point according to your insecure family's fucking standards, even though none of them have a particularly enjoyable life. And yet, the real narrative should be, does it have meaning for you? You'll also have an underlying narrative around impressing others, a prioritization around this. Other people must think that I'm valuable. And that comes before me thinking that I am. And that can lead you to dismiss things that you find meaningful in uh, in order to do things that other people say are meaningful. Of course, you're going to have legacy beliefs from your family and friends. And legacy belief is one that you carry on like a legacy. So, you know, if if, uh, your family believes that being productive is self-sacrifice, and then after your family's gone, you keep self-sacrificing, then that's a legacy. So somebody else made up the belief and you never questioned it. You just, you know, that ball was passed to you and you just ran with it. You didn't stop to go, wait, what's up with this ball? That was one of the key pieces of work I did early in my 20s, I think. I actually sat down with a pen and paper and just wrote down like all the things I could think of that I believed about what the right way to live was. And I looked at them and I'm like, where did these come from? And when's the last time they were checked? You know, when's the last time these things were fucking validated? I remember one of the beliefs is like, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. When's the last time I experimented with that one? And why do I believe it? Who told me that? When was it tested? Where's the empirical fucking evidence that that's actually a good way to live? Because what I saw is I've been living that way for 25 years and it's not working very fucking well. And when I switched to, like, if you don't have anything honest to say, don't say anything at all, my quality of life shot through the roof. It was much better than trying to say nice things. So when's the last time you wrote down what you believed and questioned it? Like, where did this come from? When did I test this? Where's the evidence that this is true? Rather than just, I feel like it should be because some adult told me it when I was a kid. This is actually one of my primary problems with religion. Is that most people don't choose it. They're forced into it when they're children. Now if an adult of their own volition decides that they want to become religious, I'm cool with that. Really, I'm like, well, you did your work, you looked around, you found something you liked, you chose it. So Damien Eccles, who was one of the Memphis Three, one of these three guys who was accused of murder, and it turns out they were uh, innocent. You know, he discovered various spiritual practices while in prison, on his own, according to what he felt like going towards. Now that I'm totally cool with. But when a seven-year-old decides to believe in the Ten Commandments, and has never questioned it since the age of seven, because someone dragged them to church and said, you better fucking believe this or I'll hit you. That just drives me crazy. It does. I don't have a problem with religion, but I do have a problem with people being forced to be religious. Uh, And another unconscious drive that I think is really common for people is fear of financial insecurity. You know, when it comes to your mission, a lot of people are trying to do safe work rather than doing meaningful work without realizing that that's about the most unsafe choice you can make. Because if you're not doing something meaningful, then you're probably not doing it very well. Which means if they need to make someone redundant, you're first. Whereas if you're following your meaningful passion, odds are you're either going to be self-employed 
or you're going to be the most valuable VIP in the company because you've fucking got the fire in you. So the safest thing you can do career-wise is pursue the thing you're deeply passionate about and find meaningful. And yet people think it's safer to do the boring shit that they're probably going to get fired for when they're no longer an asset. So what does it lead to? That's dishonesty. Well, it's a boring, mediocre life, if nothing else. And it's a survivable life. There are people who have done their 65 years or whatever and then retired on fuck all and potted around the garden until they died. And fair enough. If you want to do that, that's fine. But i got to ask you, you know, if you feel like there's something you should be doing and you're not doing it, how's that going to play out in the long run? 10 years from now, 20 years from now, how are you going to feel about your life and about yourself? I'll tell you how you're going to feel, because I have clients like this all the time. No sense of purpose, no sense of self, apathy, depression, major fucking midlife crises, destroying your relationships, not knowing who the fuck you are. That's what's waiting for you if you don't do something meaningful with your time. You'll feel this constant need to get lost in distraction and addictions, anything to get away from the acknowledgement, that existential dread that you're not doing anything important with your life. It's a horrible place to be. I've been there. It's terrible. So how does honesty change this? Honesty means you've got to break away from the pack. Maybe the pack is your family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's some vague sense of society. Where you have to go and be weird and different and do the thing that everyone thinks is ridiculous because it's the right thing. You're going to have to face the haters and the discouragers and those fear-mongers who are trying to keep everyone the same. And it will be a slow start. There will be a lot of failure. There might not be a lot of support. You know, the first five years of my coaching business were not profitable. You know, I'm still paying off loans. But then, with enough persistence and perseverance, you'll break through to where you're now the role model. You'll have meaning and purpose in what you do every day. You'll you'll know what your core values are and what living by integrity means and how to do it, and you'll do it frequently. You'll kind of find yourself, as cheesy as that sounds, and through this you create a unique life. Not the boring mundane 9 to 5 get pissed on the weekends shit that most people live. The stuff like, I look at it and it just, it scares me, you know, I'm terrified of having that life now, even though I lived it for so long. You have a life where you like every day as you wake up and you're like, fuck, I don't know what's going to happen today. And that's awesome. This is exciting. I know it's going to be good because I'm on a fucking mission here. You feel like you're doing something with your life. So that's what I think about how dishonesty affects you. I've got a lot more about that and how to be more honest in the book coming up, The Naked Truth. Pre-order a copy now, etc., etc. But, you know, I've really decided lately to double down on my mission around honesty because I've been thoroughly convinced that it is the cure to all our suffering and that all our suffering is caused by dishonesty. You know, the kind of suffering we experience outside of that is very minimal. You know, the aches and pains of some physical issues, but most of the time the real suffering we have can be directly linked to the times that we're dishonest with ourselves or with other people or both. And honesty cures that, slowly but surely, like a long round of chemotherapy. It kind of does more harm than good at the start, and then it corrects all the fucking errors caused by dishonesty, and then you get moving. 
and it's totally worth going through that transition of pain, though it is painful. Of course, if you want help with that, get in touch, dan at brojo.org, and I'll see you all next time. Cheers. (laughs) 